Psalm 29 is on page 558. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood, and the Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you know, this is the perfect psalm, isn't it, for for British people, really, don't you think? Um, Because it's about the weather. I mean, we all love moaning about the weather, don't we? If it's sunny, we say it's too hot. If if it's wet, we say it's too cold. You know, we love talking about the weather. Well, this psalm's about the weather, but there's more to it than just the weather. So, I'll just move this back slightly. That's better. Yeah, so this is in our refresh series. The psalm tonight we're thinking about is Psalm 29. Now, I don't know if you can see a Bible near you. Is there a Bible near you? Or you've got one on your phone? Because later I really want you to look at the words and they won't be on the screen. I want you to see what God says to you through those words. Have we got pew Bibles now? I think we have, haven't we? It's a wonderful thing. So Psalm 29, which was on page whatever she said. There we are. Thank you. 558, I think it was. My, my ears aren't very good. And um, it's a psalm about God of the storm. God of the storm. That's the next slide. And it's, we're going to be thinking about it with these four headings, all beginning with S. So I think if Chris were here, he'd be so pleased with me because I think he did a sermon beginning with things with D the other week. And I've managed to come up with one beginning with S, okay? So the first thing is storms, the weather element. Song, it's a song. Self-centered God, it's a question about our understanding of God and our understanding of praise. And shalom, or peace, shalom, all beginning with S. So let's just pray for a moment as we think about this wonderful psalm. So Lord, I I do pray that uh, you will speak to us now through this psalm and teach us and give us your peace, your shalom, so that we can share it with others. Uh, Lord, speak to us this evening to your great glory, for we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, let's think about thunder and lightning. Let's think about high, powerful winds. 
And we don't have to use our imagination much, do we? Because this sort of stuff happens in our country, and it's happening a lot more in the UK recently and all over the world, these storms. And if you get a lightning strike, I don't know if you've ever had a lightning strike directly above you. Have you, have you ever? I like to take a little straw poll. I have. Have you ever heard a lightning strike directly above you? It's the most frightening thing. A neighbour of mine said to me the other day, you know, the lightning went off right above me. I was scared stiff. And that happened to us recently at home, and um, it blew out a lot of electrical equipment. So we, fortunately, we had insurance. I won't tell you who with, but we had insurance, and we, it was able to be replaced. But it was really frightening, because the, the, the lightning strike, the, the, the light and the clap, the thunder clap, are absolutely happening at the same time, and you think the world's about to end. It's really frightening. And I think maybe this a storm, a thunderstorm, reflects something in the white brightness of the lightning. We glimpse maybe heaven coming to earth. And maybe we have a glimpse there of Jesus being transfigured, uh, where he shone like lightning before his frightened friends and disciples. Matthew tells us Jesus took with him Peter and James, they went up a mountain, and his brother John led them up this high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. I mean, that's an amazing thing to see, isn't it? But we've got a kind of picture of that, maybe, in the lightning. So that's the first thing, storms. The second thing, song. It's a poetic song. Um, So if you haven't got your Bible ready, do get it open, because I'm going to ask you to look at it in a minute when I read. Um, And this storm is used in this poetic song to reflect to us something of the power, the holiness, the majesty, and the love, I believe, of God. So what I want you to do, I'm going to read the middle section about the storm in a minute. I'd love you to use your imagination and try and imagine the scene that the author creates for us and also let God speak to you through it. So if anything particularly pops out at you, just remember that. You know, file it away or write it down if you take notes. If you're really keen, you take notes. Um, And uh, see what God's saying to you. Um, So this illustration, this next slide, actually tracks the verses following the path of the storm seen in verses 3 to 9. So that's the bit I'm going to read in a minute. And you can see the storm moving in from the sea, from the Mediterranean, to the land... And then when it says Syrian, it means Mount Hermon on, on the uh, map there. And it's, it's moving across the land. So relax now and listen to these verses from the poetic song as I read them. And imagine that storm. And maybe listen out in the midst of that storm for God's still, small voice. And see what he might be saying to you through the lyrics of it because it's a song. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. 
The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry, glory. So let's just pause for a moment. Just think, did anything jump out at you? Don't forget it. God might be speaking to you in that. Let's just pause for a second in silence. So I hope that something jumped out at you through it there and that God can speak to you through that. Now, if we, if we next look at the next slide, you can remind we've done storms, we've done song, poetic song, and now we're going to move on and look at a question that you might have asked yourself or certainly people you know might have thought about, maybe people who aren't yet followers of Jesus. And in wanting others to praise and worship him, because it says clearly in the Bible and in this psalm we should worship God, is this powerful God self-centered? Is God self-centered? Why does he want us to worship him? Isn't that a bit self-centered? I know it, it seems almost sacrilegious to ask this, but I think it's a question that maybe people don't actually say out loud, but they think, you know, is this okay? So the start of the psalm says uh, this. So this is the context of the whole poetic song, which Liam read to us at the beginning. This is the context. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. That's verse 1. And then verse 2, ascribe to the Lord glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And after the picture of God in the storm that we've just heard, there's that last uh, second part of that verse saying, in his temple all cry, glory, glory to the Lord. So in verse 1, we've got a scene which is heaven. Heavenly beings, maybe angels are being encouraged to praise God, remembering his glory, his strength, his holiness. And this is the context for the whole poetic song. And the storm illustrates God's glory and strength and holiness. And this storm is is glorious visually and orally. You know what thunder's like, don't you? Looking at a storm and hearing and feeling the vibrations of the thunder and the strength of the wind as well. Is amazing. And the power of a storm is such that animals are disturbed. Trees are ripped up by the strong winds. And the winds uh, foam up the sea, don't they? A storm is powerful and glorious like God. And in a sense, a, saw, a storm is sort of set apart from us. Which is what holy means. Set apart, other, different. A storm is a bit otherworldly and different. And that's what our holy God is like. He's set apart uh, by his power over all he's created and also his totally loving character which sets him apart, which is so different to our love, which pales by comparison. So right at the beginning of this psalm, there's this heavenly picture of heavenly beings, angels praising God. And then on the earth... In the temple worship, the Israelites are encouraged to praise God's glory. And in his temple, all cry, glory. 
So, we or others might want to ask, is God self-centered? Is he in some way full of himself or needy in wanting us to love and worship him? Why does God ask for our total love and commitment and praise? Why did he do that? Does he need it to boost his ego or something? And this is important. It's an important question. Because if we think that's what God's like, we'll almost certainly feel uncomfortable about loving and worshipping him. So it's really important. So let's think about it. Well, first of all, we, we generally, we don't like people who seem self-centered and full of themselves. You know, that people notice that. So if God's like that, that doesn't seem right, does it? And also we're taught in the Bible, which we believe is God speaking to us, um, we're taught in the Bible that uh, uh, not to be like that. For example, Philippians 2 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or feign conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. But I think God, in calling us to love and worship him, is actually looking out for our interests. He's not acting selfishly, ambitiously, or from vanity. And I'll pick up on this in a moment. So is God needy then in wanting us to love and worship him? Is he someone who seeks praise to sort of boost himself up to meet his own needs? Well, if God's created everything, which we believe as Christians, then he's certainly not weak. He's powerful. He can create all that is. Look at the storm. He's more powerful than any storm. And of course, he's created us as well. So he doesn't need anything. He's, not, he's self-sufficient, entirely self-sufficient. Because Acts, Acts 17 reminds us, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He's given us everything. So, okay, so God's not weak and he's not needy. So then how do we explain his focus on loving him wholeheartedly and worshipping him is that self-centered what's this one true God like and, and the Bible paints a picture of before there was anything that existed before anything there was God before anything was created including storms, high winds, lightning etc etc and anything else there was God And we can see from the Bible that God is a community of love, a relationship of love within himself, like a sort of circle of love. God, this community of love is extremely hard for us humans to understand. So God became a human being while retaining his godly, holy holy nature, became a human being in Jesus and came to live amongst us human beings so we could see what God was like. So Jesus showed us what the invisible God is like. And this God, who's this community of love, the Bible calls this God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Theologians call it the Trinity, the three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in this relationship of love. 
So love, holiness, goodness and peace are all shared in relationship in the God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And God existed before the creation of anything that was. God is holy too and he's set apart from us. And I think if you talk to most people, what they want is love, goodness, peace, justice. It's what we all want deep down in our relationships, when you go to work tomorrow, whatever you do during the week. In the world generally, that's what you want. We don't want these awful things we see, we heard in the prayers in Afghanistan. You know, we don't want people being murdered. We want love, goodness, peace. We want justice. This is what we all yearn for, I believe. So in fact, in wanting to share love, joy, peace and goodness, we want that, but that's actually what God is like. That's God. We're actually describing what God is like. We're yearning for the relationship, that relationship that existed before the world, in the Godhead, in the three-in-one God, in the Trinity. We're yearning for that. That community of love, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God was there before the world was created, experiencing that wonderful relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And because he's so full of love, he wanted to share it. This is what I believe. So he created everything that exists, and particularly us, human beings, made in his image. Now, those who know, know me well um, know that I ride a bike and I've got a fellow cyclist sitting over there I recognise well. Often when I go out on a bike ride in the countryside on my own, I really enjoy the countryside. The beauty of the natural world that God made around me. Getting out in the natural world that God has created. So when I get home, I want to tell Jane, my wife, about what I've seen and enjoyed. Because I love her, I want to share that good experience with her, even though she wasn't there. And I hope that gives her and me joy and pleasure. Maybe I go on about it a bit too much sometimes, but I, I want to share it with her in my love and care. Now, I think it must have been a bit like that when God was enjoying being God, so to speak, before anything's created. He was enjoying the wonderful relationship he had between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then he wanted to share that goodness, that love, with others. So then he made everything. He created everything he could share it, so he could share it with us. So we could know what a wonderful, uh, that wonderful love that's within God too. Even though God's other to us, he's invisible to us, like my bike ride wasn't experienced directly by Jane, it was kind of invisible to her. Despite God's otherness, he wanted to share his essential nature of peace, love, goodness, and justice with us. So God is not needy. I hope I've demolished that argument. God is not self-centered. I hope I've demolished that argument. God enjoys being God. He doesn't need us, but he wants to share his goodness with us. And love seems to want to share, doesn't it? just as I want to share the beautiful scenery of my bike ride with Jane. So when Jesus says to us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, in asking us to focus on God, Jesus is asking us 
to focus on the source of all love and share in it. Celebrate it. God is the best. That's the reality. He's not being self-centered in saying it. It's true. And when Psalm 29 that we've just read says, Ascribe to the Lord glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The psalm writer is saying exactly the same thing. Focus on God in your life, the source of all love and goodness, and share that goodness and love with others as you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what the psalm's telling us to do. And, and I want to use now a picture of a compass to try and help us. I hope you all know what a compass is. Traditionally, they were circular. You, know, you all know what a compass is, isn't it? It points to north. So it always points to north. So that compasses are designed to allow the pointer which is magnetized, to respond to the Earth's magnetic field, it always points north. So if you've ever used one, it's a great guide when you're trying to swivel your map around to get it the right way, because you can align the map with the direction north marked on the map, and then it will guide you and help you on your journey. Well, I believe we're all made in the image of God, and we're all in need of reconnecting, reorienting ourselves with our loving creator God. Like that compass reorients us with north so we can find our way. We need help and guidance to walk through life. So I believe God is certainly not self-centered. Our worship of God, as encouraged in this psalm, orients us to the reality that God is the greatest and the source of all love, goodness, justice, and so on and so on. And this psalm also helps and encourages us in our walk through life so we can share God's love with others because it's pointing us to God and worshipping him. So we've looked at storms. We've looked at song, poetic song. We've looked at, is God self-centered? I'd say definitely not. And now we're finally going to think about shalom, which means peace or wholeness. At the end of the reading, it says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And the Hebrew word for that is shalom. And in these last two verses, we've got a picture of God enthroned over a flood. Now, sadly, in Turkey, we've seen the devastation of these floods, aren't we, at the moment? And we've seen them many times in recent years. Um, it may be that this verse refers to the massive flood where Noah built the ark, or it could refer to floods in general. I don't know. But the main thing is that God is king over creation, over floods and everything else, and the source of all that exists. And floods, obviously, are serious trouble for people, frightening events, but God is more powerful than any flood. And the last verse seems to suggest that God gives those who follow him strength and shalom, peace, even when we are faced with frightening, disturbing situations in life, like floods or storms or whatever you're facing this week, today, or in the future. Remember, when Jesus was in a fishing boat in a storm, he was so relaxed, he managed to sleep while water was flooding into the boat. 
And then he demonstrated his power over storms and flooding boats as the visible image of the invisible God. He spoke and calmed the storm. You can see that in Mark chapter 4. I'll remind you, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. So Jesus shows us what shalom, peace, is in this situation. Even though the storm rages and threatens the flood, uh, to flood the boat, he remains asleep and needs waking up. Jesus experiences shalom and blesses us with it, even if, um, if we trust him. And even in the storms of life, we are blessed by God's shalom, peace, wholeness, as we have that peace with God through faith in Jesus. And that peace we have with God floods into our lives through the Holy Spirit living in us. And then we can be peacemakers too. We can share that with others. We can bring peace to others from God, the source of shalom. So to sum up, in the, in the storms of life, let's praise God and sing to him. Continually reorienting our lives like that compass um, to God, on, on God-like compass, turning to God, who's the source of all love, all goodness, all justice. And let's receive his blessing of strength to face the day and peace, shalom, in the trials of life. And let's too be peacemakers, sharing the shalom of God with others when we go on onto our front lines during the week. And I happened to catch the end of something this morning. It was uh, on the TV. Um, and it was Fern Britton meets Nigel Benn, the boxer. I think you'll be able to get it on iPlayer now. But if you want a brilliant example of what a difference Jesus makes to someone when, when they decide to follow Jesus, then I'd recommend you to watch that because it's really amazing. Um, so that, that I think it's, on, it's Fern Britton meets Nigel Benn, who's a, who's a boxer, if you haven't heard of him, on BBC iPlayer. Now what we're going to do now is actually sing Psalm 29 in praise, and we can be confident in praising God, can't we? Because we know he's not being self-centered. He's actually focusing us on what is the greatest, the greatest being in the universe, or beyond the universe, so we're going to sing Psalm 29 together. And remember, as we sing this, that God sings over us. So maybe we're singing back to him in return. Zephaniah tells us, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. That's how he feels about all of us. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. So he rejoices over us with singing. Let's praise him without singing. Uh, do stand if you're able and we'll sing Psalm 29 together. <laughs>